Chapter 39 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 39 Law and Justice. As Mr. Theodore Trowbridge sat in his office that morning, Barbara Strand presented herself before him. If a visit from the little woman was unlooked for on that particular day, the manner of her reception proved her no stranger to the lawyer. In fact, Mr. Trowbridge was the person to whom were entrusted all Barbara's business matters, and consequently an acquaintance was tolerably well established on both sides. But a little matter of surprise presented itself, soon after her coming, for all that. A little matter of surprise to the gentleman, for in this manner, quite new in his experience of his client, that is, new for its liveliness and energy, Barbara made request for a private interview. Mr. Trowbridge readily granted the request, and they having entered together the former's sanctum sanctorum, a conference took place between them, the particulars of which will be known in due season. Before Barbara left, a note was written by the lawyer, and entrusted by him to his briskest clerk for immediate delivery. That will bring Kingsley to me within the hour, then very gravely observed Mr. Trowbridge, and I will proceed in the business exactly as you have suggested, Mrs. Strand. Whatever the result may be, I will write you fully concerning it before the day closes. In less than an hour after Barbara left the office, Mr. Kingsley entered it. The task Barbara's friend had undertaken was a peculiarly delicate one, and he entered upon it in a manner that showed him duly sensible of this fact, and also that it was one that must be accomplished with firmness and decision. Not only had Mr. Kingsley been his friend and client for many years, but the late Mr. Godfrey Foreman, the uncle alluded to by Hilda, had been so likewise. The will, which left the entire property of this gentleman to his younger nephew, had been drawn up and witnessed by Mr. Trowbridge, as was also the one of anterior date, which made an equal division of the uncle's fortune between his two young relatives. In as concise a manner as possible, Mr. Trowbridge opened the business of his summons to his client by informing him of the discovery made, or supposed to be made, by Hilda Ross. Mr. Kingsley exhibited a great deal of agitation from the moment of the subject being touched upon. "'My wife said something to me about a visit of this deluded girl on the matter you mention,' he said in reply. "'But my mind has been in no condition to think of it, nor has Mrs. Kingsley's. I am an afflicted man, Mr. Trowbridge. I have left at home ill, the last of my four cherished darlings, my little girls, who were my pride and hope, and their mothers. I am in no condition for a business of this sort. I did not suppose it was for a matter to add to my discomfort you sent for me. It must wait another time. It cannot wait, calmly rejoined the lawyer. If you have sorrow in your home, Kingsley— so have your young cousins in theirs. They have poverty, they have illness, they have loss. I have undertaken to look into this matter for those orphaned children, and must do it. The whole thing is the vagary of a foolish girl, said Mr. Kingsley quickly. You would only waste your time upon it. It may be so, only a vagary, as you say, but you owe it to yourself to prove it. "'Prove it to whom?' asked Mr. Kingsley, with an effort to rally. "'Can one reason with, or prove to, a poor, demented girl?' 
prove it to me, Kingsley. In my possession, I believe, is the very package of letters referred to. You remember, you entrusted to my keeping, early after the period of Mrs. Ross's death, a parcel sealed up, which you told me were simply old letters which you wished preserved. In your presence, let this parcel be examined. It will speak for itself. If no such paper be there, the matter must drop, and I have done my duty. If, on the contrary, the paper spoken of be found among the letters, you will do yours. Mr. Kingsley crossed the room with an agitated step. Give me ten minutes to speak to my wife, Mr. Trowbridge, he then said, pausing before the other. Mr. Trowbridge gravely shook his head. Take no counsel, he replied, but from your own heart. Act as you would do if tomorrow, in place of bringing you every promise of life and health, were surely bringing you but a few hours in which to end your worldly accounts. In face of such a tomorrow, how would you act today? Mr. Kingsley looked away from his companion, his lips trembling and his features ashy pale. Then, sinking on the sofa where he had sat before, he buried his hand in his folded arms. Mr. Trowbridge said not a word. He left the aroused conscience to work its own way. Five or ten minutes thus passed, the heavy respirations of the suffering man being all the sound that broke the quiet of the room. Then, raising his head, Mr. Kingsley looked firmly and regretfully in the eyes of his old friend. Mr. Trowbridge, he said, if I have been brought to the determination I have now made through a voluntary motion of my own, I would be an easier-minded man at this minute than I have been from the evil hour I was tempted to conceal the existence of that paper. God knows that I have suffered for the wrong. He knows, too, whether it was for that he has brought upon me the crushing grief I bear this day, even as it is, forced by necessity to make reparation to these poor girls, I feel already relief of a dead weight here, striking his breast. Bring out the letters, and we will look them over. Mr. Trowbridge silently brought them to the table, where together they seated themselves. Let me have them, said Mr. Kingsley, taking up the still-sealed package. You need not fear to trust me now, Mr. Trowbridge. If all could again be as it was, I would bring forth the paper. The seals were broken, and then appeared a bundle of time-stained letters tied together with a tape. With trembling fingers, Mr. Kingsley turned over some half-dozen of the letters and produced from among them a written paper, one half only of a sheet of letter paper. He looked at it for a moment, then placed it in the hand of Mr. Trowbridge. I might have defied you, he said as he did so. I might have denied the autography of that paper, were it produced against me, and made trouble for the poor girls whose rights it proves. But if I thought to do so, it was but for a moment, and that moment I regret. I have long felt it would come to this, have almost wished it. It is all right as it is. One thing I will say for myself, he added, and you may believe it is the truth. If that paper had come into my hands at the time of my uncle's death, it would never have been concealed. But possession 
blinded me to the rights of others. I had owned all so long. I was too greedy to be content with half. Take the paper and the whole management of it into your own hands, Mr. Trowbridge. I make no reserve of interest on the twenty thousand. All shall be exactly as a court would adjudge it. He paused for a moment, and then added, I might any time have destroyed the paper, but I don't regret I did not. I say it expecting you to believe me, Mr. Trowbridge. And I do, earnestly replied the latter. You are kind, sir, after all this. How will you have it done? inquired the other, after a silence upon the part of each. As a gift to your cousins? No, emphatically replied Mr. Kingsley. I would sink under that. Tell the truth, far as may be. Tell that a will has been discovered setting aside the former one and sharing my Uncle Godfrey's property. I have prospered in my business, as you know, and can well afford this. But had it been that it must ruin me, would I have dared to complain? I have prospered? No. God has prospered me. Perhaps he has meant to smooth the way for me to make reparation. But I have been stubborn and blind. I have tempted him. His friend made no reply. He was tying up the bundle of letters, having carefully put aside the paper. The person who injured the writer of those letters in the eyes of my uncle believed he was doing me a service, thoughtfully observed Mr. Kingsley. How short-sighted we are! He was planning for me the temptation and the sorrow of my life. He hesitated, in evident embarrassment, then added, I owe it to my wife to say that, though at one time satisfied to persuade herself, as I did, that my uncle's real wishes were expressed in his second will, she has latterly, since the visit of poor Hilda Ross, which affected her strangely, more than once suggested that we should, nearly as we could, undo what we had done. Had I listened to her, how much might have been spared me, spared us both. End of chapter 39